Welcome to the New Ventures podcast. Our guest for today is Smith Tawilard Niti. Welcome, Smith. Hi. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. You make plant-based substitutes to meat and seafood. So how do you make plant-based food? Sure, but let me eat the bread. And then we were thinking about spinning it off as a separate company, but I think it may not be the right time to do that yet. So we're working as a brand under the company called Niti Foods, which is our family business. And then how to make the plant-based meats and seafood. Like you said, it's everything made from plants. So take the extracts of plant proteins, plant oil, and also plant binder. So why we had to do that? Because each plant has different composition. Some plant is good for protein, some plant good for fats, some plant good for binder. Meat substitutes that made from plant that have the performance and then the, the taste and experience closer to imitate the meat from the animal. So that we pick the best out of many, many plants and then extract that. And then we combine it using science and technology in, in the, the, the modern uh, food technology right now to recreate the meat alternative that can be cooked, eat, taste, and then marinate, and then use similarly to uh, what you can get from the, taking the meat from animals. Thank you. So you talked about three ingredients. One is uh, the protein, and then there is the fat, and then there's a binder. So tell us a little bit about which plants you get what from. Sure. So normally, for people think about meat as a protein source, right? You think about like you eat meat for the proteins, but not exactly that. You eat meat for the mouthfeel. You eat meat for also the fats because the fat and proteins together will create the good mouthfeel experience for eating the animal meats. And then when you eat only the proteins alone, you may not get the same exact experience as the meat substitutes. That's what we call old generations. The plants that good in proteins are like the bean, the legumes, like soybean, rice also. Many, many plants has the protein, but how can we extract that and then can concentrate the proteins, right? For our brand, we use the soy proteins and then rice proteins as the main source for the proteins. And then for the fats, I mean, you have like good fat, bad fat, saturated fat, unsaturated fats. So I think uh, we use rice bran oil as a part that is high in unsaturated fat to use in our ingredient. And also using the coconut oil, coconut fats. The reason we use coconut fat is have it could solidify in, into solid so that it will recreate like the fat piece of the animal fat. And then that create the look and feel and, and then the cooking experience in the using animal meats. And for the plant binder, I mean, binder are come from like cellulose of the plants. So they can come in and extract that in the form of methylcellulose. And also the seaweed extracts that can extract it into the form of carrageenan that you can see in many form in ice cream, in beverage, and in jelly and many, many things that uh, can use this safe and then uh, functional ingredient to create the meat that we all love. Thanks. So you extract the fat, the protein, and the binder, and then you kind of mix it together. How do you extract and how do you mix? Okay, I think if you talk about like the whole extraction process, it could be a very, very long process. But then you have to also like find out which one, either you source it from supplier or just other global supply chains, or uh, you extract your own. So there are some certain things that 
there's a component that you can they can bring in like proteins or like the plant oil that you can buy from the many many the oil company, and then the binder also there's some many providers that you have to go source and look around. At the beginning, we think about like owning every process, but in again we feel that uh, it may not be the most efficient thing to do everything in house if we can buy so we don't have to build. And then we we're looking at the components on the case where this is. The differentiation on the plant protein or plant-based meat alternative because everybody can get access to protein and fat and binder, but to make it tasty is another story. So we focus our effort in like creating the the mouth feel, the taste, like the umami flavor that you're expecting of eating meats, and then probably the aroma or masking of the plant aroma from the plant to that it doesn't interfere with the experience when you think about eating soy or from uh, substitutes. So we uh, we source components and then we looking at the taste that we want to focus on to bring in the, the in-house on taste development. Well, that's very interesting. You have a supply base and then you focus on the taste. So your products, you know, how does it compare to the conventional meat and seafood, not when it comes to taste, but also nutritional value? Sure. I think Basically, we did the consumer research on these plant-based meat alternatives and what the customer is expecting. You're expecting to be exactly the same like meat, like the taste, the aroma, like the gaminess of the other things. Sometimes when we conduct research, it ended up that they don't want to eat the meat alternative that closer to the meat, but they want it closer to the meal that they like. So think about maybe we don't have to imitate closely to the like beef where they have the high aroma of like of the beef flavor, which will be like very expensive and very uh, long research time consuming. But if we can make it into the like the stir fry or the stuffing that into total meals and eating, and then it has the satisfaction. And because every advancement also come at a cost. So one of the things is we want to make sure that whatever we produce will not be so high in cost. So we want to keep the cost in mind. So we want to exceed customer expectation on the taste of the meals. So it may not have the exact like one-to-one on the shrimp, on the beef, but when you go to the meal, then sometimes you may not be able to, to differentiate which one is which because the whole cooking will, will get experienced more. And then for the nutritional values on the plant-based meat and then the meat from the animal, there are a few things that you want from, from the meat, like proteins, from the iron from the other vitamins right these are the things that are available in the animal meats but plant-based meat alternative have to deliver one is the high level of proteins because if you're eating like the the mushroom patties or the bean patties it will not deliver or even tofu or, or the whole mushroom it won't be the protein level is not the same level as the conventional meat so that it will give like the less satiety i mean you can get hungry again very quickly, even though you eat the same quantity of the product, of the other foods. And then for the nutrition, like protein is there. And then for the fats, that is where differentiation could come in, where we can select the good fats, let's say less saturated fats, or the fat in the meat will allow the meat to be tender. But for the plant, it in, in itself is more tender than the animal meat. So we don't have to add a lot of fat to create the same tenderness. It will be by default less fat or less calorie where you may want it. And then uh, thirdly, when you're looking at per grams basis on or per serving basis on like the calciums or the irons, where you feel you you believe that it will come predominantly from the animal meat. But actually when we test it, 
uh, plant-based meat has a higher percentage per serving in iron and calcium than the meat from animal. This is something that we are so surprised and we want to, uh, want to share this message. But the nutrition value on the animals that sometimes you don't want to have, say like the hormones that prevalence in the, that the presence in the, in the industry or like the antibiotics in the raising and feeding of this antibiotic to the animal. And then that one you don't have. Or like the, the level of the, the pathogen, right? The bacteria that would cause your harm, like salmonella or E. coli, because it doesn't get slaughtered in the slaughterhouse. So it'd be, I mean, like safer in that sense. And also some of the research talking about eating too much of the animal products who could be a leading cause of, say, of some, some type of cancer or the high blood pressure or diabetes or uh, heart diseases. So by lowering the quantity of the amount of the meat consumed could also benefit in this like prevention or less risk in cardiovascular disease and then the colorectal cancer. These are the research that have been confirmed. So this is really interesting, Smith, the way you're describing it. I'll just summarize some of the key messages that you conveyed. One is that uh, in terms of uh, taste, people are not looking at you know, just the raw meat, the raw seafood. They're looking at the final meat or seafood that they eat. So they're looking for the shrimp cake or something like that. And what you're trying is to make the final taste, right? Yes, correct. And then in terms of nutritional value, what you are saying is that plant-based meat is closer to animal protein in some ways. It is definitely, in terms of protein content, definitely more than, shall I call it, traditional vegetarian products. And this is really interesting in some ways, actually in two ways, for some elements like calcium, it is better than actually animal protein and it does not have the antibiotics and the bacteria that the manufacturing process of animal protein leads to. Is that kind of correct yeah, summary? Correct. That's really interesting, actually, which actually brings me to the next question. You talked a little bit about doing customer research and the fact that you really focus on the taste and the aroma and the nutritional value. So just, just describe to us a little bit of that process. You know what? You know, how do you develop a product? How do you get customer feedback? And of course, how do you get regulatory approval? Sure. So for the creative products, I think the interesting thing is when we, animal-based world, we understand, we're eating this for the past maybe like few hundred years on the menu that developed for the past history of, of the modern culinary history. But for plant-based, it's the first time that we could imitate the meat, some like maybe more portion of the recipes that could be created wholly from plants without having the meat. Let's say like skewer steak or satay or something that used to be like using the, the plant would not taste the same, look and feel differently, but now you can imitate it really, really close. So it comes in like, wow, it's like, if you want to imitate the, the dishes that used to be a meat-based, there's the many, many things that we can do. I talk to my team, like it's like going to the forest where every fruit is ripened to pick. It's about which one we like to pick because it's, it's so green. There's no one done it before. So the fact that like the plant-based meat company from the USA, they're taking the burger and the sausage and the chickens at the prim primarily uh, product developments. But if you're in Asia, we eat a lot more different things. 
So we think about like creating some uh, recipes that people will like, or being a vegetarian myself. I, I turned vegetarian like four years ago. I feel like I, I missed a little bit of some items before. So I like to create something that I missed, say like the tonkatsu used to be like the, the cutlet and then the breaded, they put it in breadcrumb or like the, the stir fry kaprao, the Thai, Thai stir fry basil. But the stir fry with tofu or mushroom would not be the same like stir frying the meat. So we want to create that experience like close to the meat experience and then repeat that, something that we like to eat and based on uh, myself like to eat. And then we want to focus more on like what Asian style that we can innovate because we are from Thailand and from Asia. Secondly, from the consumer point of view, one, I could be one of the, like the representative of the, of the consumer group, like the vegetarian or vegan, what they would like because something that they eat totally different from normally the people eating meat. But if you offer something different, but also, also comply to their belief on the vegan point of view, then they would like to see that. Like I already mentioned that people want to see good tasting dishes or good tasting meals. So we want to deliver that at the cost where it's been controlled or friendly to the wallets, especially in the Asia wallet. And thirdly, in terms of uh, regulatory, this is funny. We feel that it could be difficult, but actually the, the process of doing the meat alternative or the tofu, it falls into the same category like the tofu or like the mock meats where it's all plants. So I think the, the, the regula- regulation are there to study and comply, which is not that difficult. Unlike if you want to start slaughterhouse and doing something with the animal base, when you talk about like involving the animal health husbandry departments or import-exports policy where they want to control the animal disease from one country to the, the other countries, or even the in fishery department that you don't want to deal with the seafood product, then you don't have to call in the department of fisheries. And when you talk about this regulatory, there used to be the, the barrier of import-exports due to like the animal diseases control. But now the meat-based recipe could be offer in the plant's ingredient, then there's no boundary or no regulation in, in the sense where we can export now meat-based product from Thailand that made from plants all over the world. Okay, right. So this is very interesting. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the Thai basil stir fry, which is um, you know, my favorite dish, actually. And this is a point I think I should ask you because you brought up the Asian taste, you know, what are your products for the Thailand market? And how have customers reacted to these products? Sure, interesting. When we talk about, we want to be Asian-based and then Asian-focused, but our first product is actually a burger patty, which is like very Western. But in a way, because at the time, like two years ago, where plant-based meat is become new and become a, a new trending in Thailand. So a lot of retailer wants to have it. And we are the first plant-based burger patty developed in Thailand. Just because the Westerners, uh, they're the ones that are, who live in Thailand, they are the ones leading the, the demand. So the supermarkets want the burger patty first because the company like Beyond Meat selling the burger patties. And we feel that we, we develop something that are much more affordable. So we launched the burger patties. And then second product, six months later, we launched minced meat where it's more like the minced uh, chicken or minced pork but it actually doesn't associate with any type of animals to create like the dim sum type or stir fry type or soup type of the Asian because Asian people take the meat in the shop or the ground meat and then marinate further to do stir fry, to do stuffing, to do steaming, to do uh, 
many, many other recipes. So the, the mince-based products is the second thing that we developed. And then thirdly, as a vegetarian, then when I went to the Japanese restaurants, there's not many uh, vegetarian options uh, except tofu or seafoods. I want to create a meat-based uh, items like the tonkatsu. So we feel that tonkatsu is the breadcrumb coated with the meat. Then we can uh, take a little bit further on like the fried cutlets that we that we offer. These are our third product that we launch in Thailand. And then we are looking at to launch a few more items next year in Thailand, like Italian meatballs or lab meatball, which is like spicy salad meatball. And then the plant-based shrimp cutlets. This is like the very uh, popular uh, seafood items in Thailand where everyone will eat dipping with the, the sweet plum sauce. And then the, the other one we launched is plant-based beef where we have taken so much time to develop the plant-based beef aroma that made from uh, plants ingredients. That is not artificial. This is something where uh, we get, get the aroma like more like the animals, but not anything from animals. And these are the things that we uh, develop in Thailand. And the feedback is, one, people surprised that it tastes, it, for the minced meat, if you, if you cook really, really, really uh, good, just an okay skill, no one could distinguish whether this is the animal or this plant-based because the technology or the thing that we have developed is had exceed the customer expectation already. And then for other thing is, is taking a little bit more to educate and communicate to the market why this one is good or healthier or tastier in the market uh, experience. Well, I think that was really smart to introduce the product, first product, the Matt Patty product for the foreigners staying in Thailand, because Thailand is, of course, as you know very well, the world's number one destination for digital nomads. So, you know, I guess they were the early adopter market. But you not only produce products for the Thailand market for, or for foreigners staying in Thailand, but you also export to, you know, all over the world, right? Uh, so if you could tell us a little yeah. bit about the products you export and, you know, what's the process of getting approvals. I know you already mentioned that it could be easier to get approvals for plant-based meat as opposed to real meat. Uh, I mean, real meat in the sense conventional meat. Uh, but if you could expand on that a little bit. Sure. When we think about, at the day one, when we start doing this uh, plant-based meat thing, we, feel, we understand like the animal protection uh, schemes among countries. And I understand at the point of the conception of the idea, wow, this could lift the gate. We could now export like the fermented pork, let's say, nam in Thailand all over the world because the pork in Thailand could not export easily. Or like the street food, like skewer, pork barbecue. This is something where if we can develop that, there's no limit or no boundary. People like Thai street food and a lot of street food, Thai tastes really good. But we couldn't export is because a lot of street food are the meat-based. We used to see like the other company doing the Thai curry, but they only have the curry and some veggies and some tofu. It doesn't, doesn't create the real experience of eating the, the whole meals. So we think about well, the world could also be the market because the regulation doesn't prohibit. And secondly, what to do because uh, plant-based meat is, I feel that Asia is not, not a leading region. They have been done something like this in Europe for a long, long time. Like the Netherlands, the German, the Spain, or the American in the USA, they have done in so many, many brands. So I think the first thing is we feel that we want to bring this innovation to the Southeast Asian. This is our first focus markets. 
I think Southeast Asia are developing country where people would like to have good taste product and good and healthier for for you at the price where they could afford. I think that is our mission to make uh, Southeast Asia is the, our prime market of focus. Say Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, and then think about maybe Vietnam and maybe the Myanmar or Laos, Cambodia later on. These are the our market focus, and we develop something for. Southeast Asia, I think in aggregate, there are so Westerners or like the expats that live in Southeast Asia for a little bit. So if we deliver the Western items like Italian meatball, the burger patties, I think we feel that we could uh, also be a more affordable choice for the Southeast Asian market. But for exporting to Europe and to, uh, I don't know, like the, the USA or Australia, where incumbent has the strong position, we would think about develop something more like Southeast Asian focus or Thai focus, say like the lab meat or, or something with the Thai basil or tom yum flavor in it. So just to make sure that we have the differentiation and the significance, noticeable change so that we can create ourselves a differentiation in the, the faraway market. Well, extremely interesting. As, uh, as I'm hearing you speak, I am understanding that you know within these overall markets, there are positioning uh, statements that you can create. So you can create international products for Southeast Asia, and you can create a Southeast Asian product for international markets. Very, very interesting. And I guess a lot of you know these type of thinking in your case comes from the experience of running a family business in food, right? So you know this thing from your childhood, I guess, right? Not childhood, but maybe just recently because uh, our company uh, exploring, we our company needy food doing spices. We usually like imports from uh, many countries around the world and then sell into Thai markets. And then we develop further to be a seasoning where we create a tom yam flavor or green curry flavor and export and sell it locally and so export to China, to other countries like for snacks and for other companies. And by trying to develop the export market for ourselves in the past uh, 10 years that I've been with the company, I've been into many, many world exhibitions in the food business to see and understand and see how other big brand is doing, how smaller brand is doing, how local market in Japan, Korea, Europe, USA, Australia is doing. And just take that experience, synthesize and develop a strategy where we used to sell what are called the condiments, right? The, the seasoning to make tom yam. And then condiment is something where only contribute to like small portion in a plate, in the ditch, say that two to 3% of your meal come from the condiments. But now we feel that if we can do proteins, even though it's smaller segments, but we can incorporate the protein and then the flavor in itself, then we don't have to ask another meat company to, to, to adopt our seasoning, but we can incorporate that into the product itself and then create a lot more differentiation and a lot more variety that I think that the world hadn't seen before. Uh, thank you. So I really understand you know, what your family business is and what you learned in that business and what you learned outside the business as well. One of the things I wanted to ask you is that you joined Space F, a food tech accelerator and, and incubator. Why did you decide to do that? And how did that value add to your business? Sure. This is the topic that I thanks the, the organizer, the Thai government, like to what are called national innovation agencies, NIA, 
there have been many many uh, like startups in the tech area, but mostly are in like the software programming and application and fintechs. There are so many like incubator and accelerator for these type of startups that incorporate technology or deep tech or more tech that could be scaled quickly in the technology space. But SpaceX is the first in Thailand that has launched as an incubator. They partner with the Mahidol University and the company called Thai Union Public Company that are like the world number one uh, tuna company. They want to help smaller startups or younger company. That want to focus on food that rely much on the technologies, and then one of the focus area of of their cohort is the alternative proteins. And at the time, we have the idea of doing the plant based meat too. And then we we asked, what have we apply? And then we uh, actually uh, get accepted as the first batch incubator in space F in 2019. At the time, we don't even have the brand name. We have the prototype, and we have like small, small idea on how to develop it. And through the program, like your cohort, there are also interesting companies from around the region, like Singapore or Thailand, to create a good dynamic group that you feel like you're going to the classroom again, and you want to sending up homework, or you have to. Don't want to fall uh, the exams, right? Because when you are incubator, you uh, have to go pass through the activities, and that make what I call like the the disciplines that we have to deliver days in days out. What's the plan? What's the product? What here and there? And then the second thing is we think about even though if we can spin this off as startups, and then we had to raise the funding or talking to the venture capitals, and then through the program they had the VC company that uh, coach the incubators in the program. And that we have the real interaction with the with the VC, with the capital, how to raise fund, how to do the term sheets, how to looking at here and there in industrial property, how to grow the market, and this the whole program experience really like accelerate the learning and expedite our developments of this plan meet to really come out and. But at the time, we feel that we don't have waiting for the the funding to arrive. But if we can commercialize, so the market just happened that the the supermarket wants our product. So when we rapidly launch it to Thailand market and we commercialize it during the program to to have the the first break of revenue of the product, and the whole experience being a uh, very very result a uh, very uh. Important to our development and resourcefulness for the country and the program organizer. I'm really glad that you had a very positive experience. You know, we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I wanted to just talk about the benefits a little bit. Uh, you've already talked about some of the health benefits of eating plant-based meat. A lot of us know about the climate benefits of switching away from meat and f- uh, seafood as well. But one of the things that I found striking when I was earlier talking to you was the damage. You know, global meat eating habits due to local environments. So, for example, a lot of us uh, know about Chiang Mai; it's one of the world's leading tourist destinations. But can you explain to us the air pollution issue and how meat eating is linked to that? Sure. At the conception of our, of our list plan, we read a lot of articles on like, oh, the the pollution, the resource. Of the world will be depleted if we don't have the option for the growing 9.7 billion population in 2050, and we see like the the rising uh, temperature, the climate change, the greenhouse gases that produced from the agriculture and also meat industry. We saw the numbers like 83% of the global farmland is growing for animals, not directly for humans, and that is striking. And if we continue to project the the consumption of meat. For the next uh, two billion now, then we have to have the second planet to start growing right now. And these are the things. But then 
we, we read that and we understand that. But in my home in Chiang Mai, we used to be like you mentioned, like very peaceful, charming mountain city in the winter time, like November to February is a cold climate. People would like to visit. Scotland is like really, really nice. The culture is good. Mountain is there. But in the past 10 years, and that lived here, I see like the growing of the animal feeding industry, like the corn for animals. You see mountain and after mountain being uh, cut down and then to grow, to planting corn for feeding the animal industry, like the chicken, milk, pork, cows. And people who are growing in the mountain, they could not have the machine to, to do the farming. And then once the, they have the corn stock in the field and they want to grow the new crop, what do they do, right? The easiest one that to do is to burn the thing just to get ready and prepare for the next cropping. And that burning, when you have a little bit of area, it doesn't be too bad, but it being done in the large scale that when everybody burn at the same time, then the whole city or the whole Northern Thailand become uh, blanket by smog. And not only that, not only in Thailand uh, farmer, but also the Northern in the region, like the beyond the border, like the Myanmar and Laos. They also the, the promotion of growing the animal feeding because the world needs animal proteins. And I used to be part of the of the team to also like try to solve the problem on the smog in the Chiang Mai province because maybe 3 billion Thai baht income from growing up the animal feed, but we are losing another 4 billion in tourism another 7 billion in like healthcare. And these are the things that doesn't get embedded to the price of the animal feeds. And then people in the cities, they are blaming the farmer on the mountain. Hey, you should not burn. You are destroying our economies. But then again, people in the city, we are still eating the meat, supporting some, the very thing that they are growing for, right? We are in what I call in the generation of a hypocrite where we blame others, we don't blame ourselves. Because we enjoy ourselves eating meat so much and then we blame the effect these two others. This is very sad. People who are in the city, they don't see connection between their meal and their eating toward the supporting of animal feed and to supporting of growing and to supporting of burning. And we are creating the problem for ourselves. And looking around, there's no demand side solution to wean people off of animal product, to eating soy and tofu. People may not want it because it will be less enjoyable. But if the plant-based meat, if it can perform the same way, like the meat, then it could have a chance. And secondly, if it be expensive like or imported, then people don't want to buy that. We talk about like the meat industry been known to mankind for say 70,000 years when we understand how to use the fire. But plant-based meat is in the world in the past maybe like 10 to 20 years. We're still at the very beginning of the research and development that at some point, we maybe we could exceed the performance of the meat product or the technology or something that we could, that we could develop and put our mind and our technology and scientific uh, advancement into it. Thinking about like the telephone or cell phone 20 years ago is expensive. It doesn't get clear uh, signal and then the call time is commonly expensive, but now it becomes very, very affordable and then the clarity is much, much better and then the choice are uh, even more than before. I think allowing the industry to develop some more, and uh, I think we could have a chance to solving the pollution problem at some point in my generation too. That's incredibly uh, inspirational. And with that, uh, I have no more questions for you, Smith, but unless you have some final message for our audience today. Sure. I think a lot of people feel like the plant-based meat is something that one could be healthy, but a lot of misconception talking about plant-based meat, it becomes expensive. 
plant-based meat is for the vegan, is for the rich and the poor could not eat it because well, we are not having the money to buy that expensive items. But, you know, uh, we feel that we want to make it affordable. And as a producer, we don't want to create something that to be so expensive and we don't even have the much profit than anybody else. But the whole thing is the supporting system in the industry, it's been devised, let's say, 30 or 40 years ago where there's no option like this of the plant-based meat, only the animal meats. A lot of subsidies and the price control program being put into the meat so that they can suppress the price of meat to be low. And then the retailer, when they have to comply to the law, they could not charge the meat price high. So they would charge nothing and they try to make profit from selling something else like shampoo or tissue papers. But plant-based meat doesn't get the same playing field like the animal meat so the retailer will charge like 30 40 percent of the gross profit to sell and that create the price disparity where people think about animal meat is for the general public and then private meat is for the rich i think it's about the conversation that we had to talk more and we want to bring down the price of plant-based meat to be more affordable by the fact that it should have the same playing field like the animal meat so that people could afford it. And we feel that if we don't have to wait for the regulation to enable us, but we feel that at this point in time, the animal industry also facing the stress in controlling the, the disease in their environment. It's the matter of time where if like the avian flu or the mad cow disease or the African swine flu spread or attack again and the price of animal protein becomes skyrocketed, then plant-based meat will probably be the choice that people would consider just because it doesn't get the same supply chain impact from these uh, animal disease on the animal pandemic that I hope that by being the plant-based meat, we could also help consumer or population being more resilient in terms of like the foods and then the way of living in the food and cooking. I think that is very important as well, especially given the pandemic that is still going on. And with that, thank you very much. You're welcome.